Hello everyone, my name is Rafael Vigiel and I would like to welcome everyone to my Headshot Photography podcast and today I have a special guest all the way from London, Ivan Weiss. Uh, welcome to the show, I'm, I'm super excited to have you, I've been a big fan of your work. Uh, we briefly chat before we started and, and a lot of your images I've seen somewhere, I just have a hard time to connect to the, to the person but uh, yeah, your images are basically breathtaking. Um, the way you capture emotions and then just just like this whole package, I have to say, is, is, is amazing. I was studying your work for the last few days and then I was trying to pick some of the, my favorite images. And I have a really difficult time because everything what I've seen, like, oh, there's something interesting about this. There's interesting about that. And it seems like you specializing in portrait photography, in headshots. Um, you have very, very uh, distinctive style. And welcome to the show. We're going to jump into some interesting topics because it seems like you have a lot of, lot of experience. You work also in Europe, which also I have a different style and approach to photography. So I really want to kind of dive in into this. But before we jump into those like interesting topics i just want to know a little bit your story how did you get into the photography what was the kind of path which leads you also to portrait photography because i know there's different genres of photography out there and 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 sometimes we go in different paths like you know for example in my case i started with weddings and then i slowly um, and then, and very, very gradually started getting into headshots and portraits. So, like, my path was extremely long. But I want to hear your story because it seems like you, you, you got to this some specific style, and I want to kind of find out how did you get there. Sure. Uh, well, thanks first for uh, first for having me on, Rafael. Um, pleasure to be here. Um, so my my journey in photography started really at, at birth. So my my dad worked as a press and publicity photographer. So I was born into a house where photography was was just part of the the environment. You know, there there was always a dark room in the house. Um, later on, that moved to a kind of shed building in the garden, but it was always there. And you know, the the smell of photographic chemicals, piles of black and white prints lying around, dark bag cassettes of film, all, all of the paraphernalia, um, you know, cameras everywhere, pictures up on the wall. And it was just a part of my my upbringing. Um, I think like most people, there was a, you know, a, a, a point at which I just wanted to be like my dad. And I learned photography as a, as a kid. And then I suppose in teenage years, I kind of didn't want to be like my dad. So it got pushed to one side and I went and, and did other things. But it was always, it was always there. I, you know, I always had a camera, um, and I think I was lucky in that the age of digital photography really kind of corresponded with me becoming a, a or coincided, let's say, with me becoming an adult and kind of just getting out of being the sort of young adult, not knowing what I wanted to do, and starting to work out who I really was and mm -hmm. digital answered a lot of questions for me 
because I didn't need to have the dark room. I didn't need to dedicate a you know a space and a lot of equipment and money to to photography if I was going to do it. And even more, it meant that I didn't have to do all of that studying and note taking that you have to do with analog photography of making a note of you know what what uh, what what settings you've shot for that particular frame and and all the rest of it. Um, so digital was a real boon for me and and i think as well that that allowed me to kind of step away from feeling like i might be in my dad's shadow because he's very much an analog photographer and that's his world um and with that of course came digital post-production which was a a really interesting field so it just kind of grew and grew as a hobby um and then i started thinking well maybe maybe i should do this for a living and I'd already had a few jobs where I worked outdoors um, and decided never to do that, that again, especially in London. Um, I'd already worked out that I don't particularly like getting up at 4 a.m. and climbing up a mountain to wait for a, a goat to do something. Um, and in the job that I was in, I was managing large teams of people. And I started to realize that I actually quite liked people that was a bit of a revelation i thought i thought i was a you know sort of introvert and i wanted to just work at the computer by myself mm-hmm. um so yeah sort of combination of those things kind of pushed me towards well if i want to be indoors and i want to work with people and the thing that i found most fascinating with photography was the idea of lighting like creating the light in the scene I mean, portrait photography just answers all of those, all of those requests. So, yeah, I decided. I think it was around 2010 um, that I was going to make a go of it with portrait photography. Um, mm. I took a long time before I quit my day job. I was very yeah. slow, <laughs> very well, what hesitant. Did you do before, if I can ask. Um, so I worked in subtitling and dubbing for film and television. So. Oh, okay. In in a in a vague way, sort of slightly related. I knew lots of people who worked technically with images, um, moving images mostly. Um, and I suppose, in a way, it's the entertainment industry. In a way that photography is adjacent to the the entertainment industry as well. So, not you know, it wasn't like I was coming from a completely different background, um, but from a business perspective hugely different you know i was working for a large multinational company with thousands mm-hmm. of employees in different sites all across the world and yeah then i went from that to being a one person business yeah. that you know, I, I live in my studio i I've, I've only got one site in the whole world currently oh, okay. yeah <laughs> so, yeah that's that's interesting and you know what is fascinating because Everyone these days I talk to, I, I don't even know there's like one person. They always have some kind of parent who was a photographer. Because in my case, the same the same one. And then whoever I'm talking to, like, oh, you know, my dad or my mom or, you know, the, 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 the photography was like a big part of their yeah. lives, you know, before they even got into this. And I have kind of similar, I would say, path because my dad was a photographer and then I loved it. And then I hated when, you know, the teenage kind of age king and i was like oh i'm gonna be just like against everything what he used to do but then just yeah. kind of like it's, it's in your blood i would say so on yeah. that note um i have a one question regarding because you've mentioned about 
the discovering the kind of the new world when it comes to, you know, when the digital, because I have exactly the same thing. I started with film, but for the short period of time, and then the digital kind of came to the, to the market. And all of a sudden, like, you're like, oh my God, this is just, this is what we're looking for, right? They're having this freedom, staying out of dark rooms and chemicals and then all this crazy stuff was definitely something that just kind of like gave me a boost a little bit, even to push this even, you know, harder. So what was the transition for you? Like, were you one of those people who just jump on it right away and like, okay, I want to just fully focus right now on the digital or you went, you were one of those guys who like, you know, screaming and kicking and tried to kind of like saying that digital is the worst thing ever. And that the film is never going to go away. No, 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 no doubt in my mind. I mean, at the time of the transition to digital, I wasn't I wasn't sufficiently invested in photography to be worried about you know oh it doesn't look the same or anything. It was really about the the convenience and the immediacy. So my first camera was a, a Canon A one, um, and mm-hmm. that was when I was about seven. Um, obviously, you know, a, a hand me down from my dad, a bit a bit too good a camera for a seven year old, but you know that's yeah, that's yeah. fine. Um, but by the time I was, I guess, in my early 20s, I, I was using a, I can't remember what model it was, but some kind of sort of point and shoot Canon film camera. And so the jump from there to the point and shoot digital, that there, there was no question. This is an advantage. This is definitely the thing. Um, so I had a couple of, I think it was the Canon Ixus was the, was the, um, the, the, the range. Um, and quite quickly from there, as I got into it, I realized, oh, I want, I want to be able to put different lenses on this thing. I want to be able to, you know, have a flash maybe off camera and all of that. So I went to a 500D, um, and quite soon after that, I was like, no, I, I, I want full frame. So mm-hmm. it was the five series Canon 5D, um, and yeah, never, never looked back. I mean. Now I shoot the R5, which is just sort of really the latest iteration of of the same thing. If Canon make it and it's got a five in the name, I'm probably going to buy it. That's basically the rule okay. now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the process of developing your style, because I know we have to start somewhere. Most yeah. of the time we suck at the beginning, right? We try to copy other photographers. We try to, you know touch different styles and see what's going to fit our taste. Like how does process look like for you? Cause it seems like you just jump in straight to portrait photography mm-hmm. and um, you know, like how do your style have changed over the years? Like, do you see significant difference or this is something that you just have in mind from the beginning? Um, I mean, I, I definitely see differences, small differences over time. But I think that style, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite adamant that style is not and should not be something that you consciously create. Um, mm-hmm. So once I decided that portrait photography was what I was going to do and, um, you know, I was going to make a go of it as a, as a profession, I started to look around for people to learn from. And I stumbled across Peter Hurley, um, and I just really liked the aesthetic of his work. Um, so I, I went and trained with him in New York, um, signed up to his coaching platform, the Headshot Crew, and I learned really quite quickly everything that that he was he was offering to teach. 
And from that point, I just applied the things that I'd learned from him in terms of the way that he thinks about lighting a face, the techniques for directing people, for knowing that you have to be in control in a certain sense as the photographer, as in you, you, you can you can allow for random things to happen in front of your camera, but you're in control because you decide when to push the button and you decide which pictures to, to show to the public. Um, so all of that kind of theory, I just applied it to my aesthetic. And I, it, it was never conscious and intentional. It was just, this is the beauty of digital, I suppose, playing around with stuff until it looked the way that I wanted it to look. Not going for a specific look, but just going for the feeling of, Yes, that looks right. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, over time, I started to build up a, a body of work, you know, a, a portfolio. And at a certain point, looking back through that, I realized, ah, yeah, this, I mean, this is basically like Renaissance portraiture. And mm -hmm. I spent 12 years living in Florence, in Italy, not studying oh. art, but it's, it's, it's just, yeah, osmosis, let's say. Um, and, you know, even now, I mean, there's a, I, I've got a, a book over there from an exhibition of uh, Raffaello and mm. um, the, the, there's a green background that appears in several of his pieces that, yeah, that's the exact green background that I use in a lot of mine. And it was not, it was not a conscious decision. I didn't look at something and say, I want that. I just experimented until I I felt that it looked the way that I wanted it to. It was exciting to me. And it turns out that what was exciting to me was basically uh, an amalgam of all of the influences that I'd absorbed over the years. And, you know, that I think that's just how creativity works, right? Yeah. And, you know, the one thing which you, 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 which you said, and it's that kind of hit me right now, because that's something interesting that sometimes you talk to someone and then, something kind of like a part of your brain just lights up. And when you mentioned like, you know, there's this, this book and then you just like the same kind of like the background. And I think sometimes we see things in our subconscious, just like a sponge, just kind of like suck on it. And then we just do something kind of, I'm not saying we're not conscious about it, but it's just kind of like the, the subconscious are telling us what we like. Right. And yeah. you just go towards the directions and you have this like, I don't know, colors, patterns, and then, and then, you know, this kind of posing or whatever, it just kind of comes out. And that's, that's interesting because I've noticed that too, that in my work that sometimes, you know, I do something and then just like, why the hell I'm doing this? And then he's like, Oh, because I saw this image and it's just like, kind of like you start kind of connecting the dots. Um, so there was one, also one question I want to ask you right now, because you mentioned Peter Harley um, mm -hmm. and it's, and then, and the reason I want to kind of, jump into this because I think this is fascinating. Um, so you seems like a really calm introvert person. <laughs> and Peter is like, like he's just bouncing off the walls, you know, all the time, right? Like, it seems like he's a, such a high energy person. So like how you kind of, because he's got a specific way of interacting with people, with directing them mm -hmm. and, and just kind of like even, 
um, you know, going through the process of shooting their headshots, it, it's, it's, it's a specific dynamic, right? Like I've seen his courses, I've seen him live actually uh, shooting and stuff. And I'm, I'm kind of like the same like you, I'm introvert, like I don't have this high energy, which I'm just all over the place. So how you were able to kind of take some of this teaching and implement them into kind of your own uh, character and then your personality? Like, was this hard? Because I know, like, I'm sure you've noticed that there's a lot of people who try to imitate Peter. <laughs> it looks kind of funny. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, like for me, like I, I at some point I had like, I, I have to find my ways of, of interacting with my, my subjects, how I can direct them, how I can, you know, go through this photo shoot to get what I want, but this kind of my way. So what was your process and how you deal well, with it? As, as with most things, I'm, I'm very often interested in just going a level deeper into it. So mm -hmm. yeah, when, when I first came across Peter on a YouTube video, you know, it, it was immediately obvious, like, okay, this guy is like, yeah, high energy, loud, he's shouting, everything's like crazy, um, not, that's not me. Um, but there was something that, that that spoke to me about it. And then meeting him and, and training with him, I I was even more aware of that. Yeah, okay, like we're, we're two different personality types. But the thing is that if you look just just one level deeper into things, you realize that he's getting the reaction that he gets because of the way he provokes that reaction, but the mechanism mm -hmm. can be applied to anything. And the okay. intention, the intention is the thing that, that was the, like, if, if I had to sum up one in, in, you know, one word, the sort of the biggest lesson of training with Peter, it would, it would be intention. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he, he said, when you when you take the lens cap off your camera, wherever it's pointing, that's now your studio. And in your studio, you are in charge. It's your responsibility. If you take a terrible picture, that's your fault. Um, so, okay, if I want to get a picture of somebody looking like they're having an amazing time and it's all fun and big smiles, I'm going to have to get that out of them. And... Mm -hmm. That that's a lot of what Peter does with his work, and so he he transmits that, and they respond. They mirror him, and he brings them up where he wants them, and then takes the picture. A lot of my work is more introspective, more melancholy, you know, all of these kind of things. And it just seemed obvious to me. Well, I'm not going to get that if I'm jumping around, shouting, and waving my arms like Peter does. Yeah. Maybe maybe I'm going to get that if I approach my client in a more low key quiet way and talk to them about you know things in their life that maybe inspire them to you know have have a little bit of a deeper think about something rather than a big beaming smile um so it's exactly the same mechanism it's just a different intention um mm. and it's just that thing of going going one level deeper to to reveal the actual lesson of 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 what what Peter's offering. I mean, of course, you know, everybody, everybody's different. And I do, you know, contrary to popular opinion, I, I, I do sometimes take pictures of people smiling. It's not, it's not all misery here. Um, but I generally find, you know, the more kind of low key, 
um, uh, moods to be interesting in a picture. Um, and the way to create that is exactly the same way as you would create uh, a high energy atmosphere. The same, the same mechanism, just a different, uh, a different input to get a different output. But the machine is the same. But also, like what I've noticed with with your images, the one thing which strikes me the most is the fact that, like a lot of your, um, <clears throat> a lot of the images, they have this very specific um, personalities. Sorry, I gotta grab the water. Okay, just give me one second. Sorry, I'm back. I just got like sore throat. Um, okay, so going back to my question is, I've noticed, you know, scrolling for your for for your work and just kind of analyzing your images, you 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 are really kind of like a particular about capturing specific characters. So like you know, a lot of headshots, you know, they're looking for being approachable and positive and then smile with the face. But like, I'm not saying there are some images which have that, but most of them I've noticed, you know, people, this, this, they, you're creating this personalities, right? There's people who are happy, but there's also people who are serious. Some people look mad. Some people look like, you know, concerned or con like there's all sorts of different. And I've noticed every image you can really easy, like feel that person kind of like what they feel, what they kind of going through. It's kind of fascinating. And I'm kind of like super happy that, well, not happy, but what I'm trying to say is, is it's fascinating that going through your images, you can really feel. So it's not just looking at the picture and like, oh, you know, great lighting and great, I don't know, just background. Um, the emotions just pouring out of your images. That's what is fascinating. So I want to kind of dive deep into this. So like whenever you're shooting with 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 someone, like are you working with them towards different like face expressions and body language? Um, you try to find their personalities or how the process look like? Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's sometimes a bit of a mix, but the the general approach is always just based on the, the simple idea that I'm mostly taking pictures of people's faces and a face, the human face has really only one job and that is as a communication tool. That's, that's how it evolved. Um, that's why it evolved. Uh, the, the fact that we breathe and eat through it mm -hmm. is kind of coincidental. Like we, we could just as easily have a blowhole on the back of our neck for breathing. Mm -hmm. We could absorb nutrients through our fingertips, you know, the face is there as a communication tool. Um, and if you, if you don't do anything, if you remove all instructions, remove all stimuli, um, remove everything else, the person sitting in front of the camera will express to you what they're feeling through their face. They, mm -hmm. they can't help it. It just happens. Um, 
obviously you're very often battling against a bit of um, you know uneasiness because all of a sudden a camera's pointing at you and you've got all of these lights shining at you so people can freeze up. But if you get somebody to a state where they can just be, they will communicate emotions through their face because that's what their face does. That's, mm-hmm. that's it. Um, and then from there, once once I've got them, you know, comfortable enough that they're not freezing up, from there you can run through a whole gamut of emotions, even in a matter of minutes if you want to. You know, if I if I tell you a joke now, even if it's a bad one, you'll probably laugh a little bit because it's the, that's the response. And then if I ask you a question, I know something about your childhood or something about your family, you might have a bit more of a nuanced, deeper expression because you feel maybe a mix of emotions about, you know, a family member who you admire, but also was horrible to you when you were a kid or something. I don't know. You're going to get those, those more nuanced emotions. Um, and, and the thing with these, these expressions on the face is they only last for a, you know, a second, half a second. But we're talking about still photography. I only need one two hundredth of a second. So yes. the Peter Hurley thing is that I've got my lights where I want them. I've got the person standing or sitting where I want them. I then introduce the stimulus, the question, the comment, the noise, the expression, the gesture to which they're going to respond. And I'm ready. And that's when I push the button. Yeah. Apparently, you know, I've been studying this a little bit. I try to dive in into this phase expressions and communication component. Um, and it's fascinating that a lot of like I'm not saying a lot of photographers, but like I, I think when you when you reach specific level, then when you start digging into this, because that's the kind of the bread and butter of, of our um, work. And apparently there's like a 10 over 10,000 micro phase expressions. Right. There's like mm-hmm. a some just a basic one which we can recognize, but there's like this microphase expressions, which there's like, as I said, over 10,000 and people do them kind of like, you know, um, unconsciously, right? So they don't think about it. It's just like they project, you know, mm-hmm. what they feel, what they think and, and, and stuff like that. And then we need to somehow capture capture those, right? Yeah. Um, I think this was like, I don't want to go into COVID, you know, times and stuff, but I think... A lot of people didn't even realize that putting the mask over the face just completely um, decreased the, the 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 level of you know people communicate right. Like my son, who is seven, he was like confused. He was just like completely out of it, and he had and and, and I knew what the problem is because you can say things, but mm-hmm. we also read someone else's faces. We 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 communicate this way. It's a huge part of our communication, and and people don't realize that, right? And throughout this whole masking us, we completely lost kind of connection with other people because you just look at them and you just have no, even they tell you certain things, you don't, your brain going nuts, right? Because it doesn't know how to read this whole thing. So that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about like, like, where did you get to that level? Like, where did you get to that point? Like, okay, you know what? Like I have all this lighting and equipment figured it out now. Like I need to kind of, kind of take this to the next level so it was for the peter work or you kind of like come to some kind of own 
um, discoveries, like how this process looked like. Because for me, you know what, the first five years I was shooting headshots, I, I didn't even pay attention to this stuff. Like, oh, I want to get the face expression, but I had no mm -hmm. idea how. I had no idea, you know, like this is extremely important. Um, I, I, I like, I'm sure you're aware of that, that most of those newbies who they're starting this in this industry, the first thing they focus on the equipment and lighting, and that's what they, they, they want to get this right. But then yeah. when you pass this, is is this, there's another challenge, and I think that's that's the big one also because it's it takes a lot of experience and practice to kind of master this and get to that point that you can really control this. I mean, yes, yes, and no. So, in mm -hmm. the same way that every face is, <clears throat> every human face is a, a, a incredibly sophisticated device for transmitting emotion. Our eyes and brains are incredibly sophisticated devices for perceiving it. So it 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 was quite obvious to me that the vast majority of headshots that I was seeing, you know, in the market that I wanted to be, you know, building my business in were just dull. That there was no emotion. So I didn't specifically know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to make it pictures that were were more interesting than what, what was generally out there. Um, and, and again, you know, I, I, I mean, P Peter has a term lookability um, and, and people, I see when people come in and start learning from him, they often confuse that with being good looking. And, and it's not that at all. It's, yeah. it's about being interesting. Um, if something is interesting, we will look at it. That's, mm -hmm. that's literally what it means. Um, and if you can make a picture that's interesting and the purpose of that picture for the person who's bought it from you is to draw attention to themselves, well, then job done, right? People are going to look at the picture, which is exactly what, the, what your client wants to achieve. Whereas if you make a picture of somebody where everything is perfect from a technical point of view and they've got a nice smile and, you know, their skin looks clean and you know, well cared for and the makeup is done nicely and the hair is all perfect and in place and all the wardrobe is put together, but it's dull. Like people are just going to keep scrolling. It's, it's not interesting. Um, so it really just came from that desire to create work that I wanted to look at um, mm. and through just practice and repetition I started to work out more what it is that I find interesting to look at. And therefore I would start to do more of that kind of thing. And then of course my portfolio starts to show more of that kind of thing. And then people who book me come in expecting that kind of thing. So I'm attracting the clients who are in sync with my aesthetic. Mm -hmm. um, so the whole thing, it's like a positive feedback loop at, uh, at that point you know? um and yeah the, 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 there's no real shortcut to that i think that's a function of of time and practice um you know i think i think that's true of a lot of things in photography anyway um you, you know you can you can sit and theorize a lot but you're you're generally better off getting a camera and going and taking some pictures um Absolutely. So, you know, the, the more work you generate, the more you realize what you like and what you don't like. And the more you realize what you like, the more you can do of that. And then the stronger your portfolio becomes and the more you 
is in your work. And the more you is in your work, the more, the easier it is for your potential clients to identify with something and decide to work with you rather than another photographer down the road. Yeah. I've heard this like really nice comment from one of the photographers who says like how to create your own style. And he says something like keep shooting and basically remove things which you don't like and keep the stuff which you like. And after a while you start creating your own style. That's, that's, you're going to yeah. see where you're going with this. Right. So. Yeah. I don't, I don't think style is something that you can create going forward. It's something that you realize looking backwards, you know, yes. after you've done a couple of years of working in a particular way, you will have a portfolio that sits together and, and has a, a theme, uh, you know, something that, that, that pulls it together. If you set out saying, I want to create a, a portfolio that looks like this style, it's not authentic. It's not real. It, it, you can do it for sure. You can do it, but why would you? I mean, like anyone can do that. Absolutely. And I think on the top of that, the style develops, right? So the stuff what we like today I don't know, five, 10 years from now, might be something which is going to be, well, you know, I, I'm done with this, this kind of like type of photography um, I'm doing. So it's, I don't think it's something static, right? It's something that with the time we, we changing. And as you also said, like we are changing too, right? Like we have different experiences. There is new things which kind of comes to our mind. And then this whole thing started to kind of is, is evolving thing, which would just work throughout entire time when we shooting right yeah so now i want to switch the gears a little bit and and i know you probably like i don't really like to talk about it but i know a lot of people request that and then they they would be upset if we wouldn't talk about it tell me a little bit about your gear because i know people want to hear like well what, what are you using right <laughs> so, so I'm, let's have a little I'm, touch on this yeah, I'm 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 big into the the gear that I use. I I find it fascinating the advances in technology and the the things that that allows me to do. But I'm also very much of the opinion, you know, when whenever I've got, I, I do a fair bit of coaching uh, people of all levels, and of course, you know, people that are more sort of earlier on in their journey will often say, you know, what, which camera should I get? And like, honestly, it doesn't matter. Get, get the camera that's going to make you excited to go and take some pictures. That's that's mm -hmm. the best camera for you, whatever that is. If, if you can't get excited about taking pictures until you've got a Hasselblad, start saving. Get yeah. yourself that. <laughs> if you just want to get out there and all you've got is your iPhone, like go and shoot on your iPhone. You know, that's you're, you're going to be developing your taste and your style and your technique and all of those things by shooting, not by browsing the the BNH website, you know. Um, work better, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, you know, the, the, there isn't a right answer to any question about gear, unless you have a very, very specific use case. You know, like you need to take pictures of somebody underwater okay well then like that kind of narrows things down but for most photographers especially portrait photographers um it really doesn't matter that said um you know i started off in photography with a camera that was um given to me by my dad's it was a canon 
my dad had the whole Canon system. So once I started getting into, um, into photography more seriously, it just made sense for me to, to stay with Canon because then I had access to borrowing all of my dad's lenses and, and all of that. Um, so I'm, I'm quite firmly in the Canon ecosystem. Um, no intention to change unless another manufacturer wants to endorse me. We could talk about it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that, that's a financial thing, right? That, that would just be purely, the, you know, it would make business sense if somebody else is going to pay for my cameras. Um, I shoot the Canon R5, I think, for the work that I do, mirrorless. I, I use constant light. So I mostly use um, the Westcott Flex Kit and the Nanlite LED Forza series. So it's all LED, all constant. Um, and having mirrorless really plays well with that because I can literally see what the exposure is, you know, what the capture is going to look like before I press the shutter, including, you know, I, I design my own color profiles that I load into the camera. If I'm shooting in black and white, I'm looking through the viewfinder and I'm seeing it in black and white. Um, so it's, it's really like you're seeing, you know, I'm seeing the, the final image. Um, during the capture, which is for for portrait photography in a studio compared to a lot of other genres, it's quite slow moving. Like if you were to compare it to wildlife or sports or something, so it, it's great to be able to have that um, that advantage of of seeing seeing what you're going to get before you get it. Um, I guess if I was doing more kind of press or sports or wildlife work that wouldn't be such a consideration. Um, but for for portrait photographers in 2022, I would say constant light and mirrorless cameras are the way to go. If you're already shooting Fuji or Sony or whatever, fine, stick with it. Uh, if you don't, if you want my recommendation, the Canon R5 is what I use and I'm very happy with it. Yeah, I heard this interesting joke and actually, that's gonna reflect what you have said. Um, I I don't know it was um, it was one of those comedian, and he says that um, he was endorsed. Well, like Coca Cola and Pepsi approach him to kind of advertise, and then and he says people ask him like which one you like better, and he's like, well, Pepsi pay me more, so I like Pepsi more than Coca Cola, which is kind of <laughs> the same thing, anyways, right? So exactly, exactly. You know, it's. Um... Like I say, the, the, I don't I don't understand really those photographers who go through the I'm going to sell all of my equipment and move to a different system, unless there's a very specific technical reason. And even if there is, you know, most of the time you wait a year and something that one brand has got a year later, all of the rest of them have caught up, and then a different brand will edge ahead on something, and then the others will catch up, and it's yeah. a constant evolution. I think it's quite short-termist to to think about changing your whole gear system. But then on the other hand, if the financial considerations are not a big deal for you and you're feeling stuck and in a rut, getting some new equipment can sometimes be the way to get excited again. Um, and, and I think that from that point of view, it's completely... It's completely legitimate if you if you know that that's what you're doing and that's the way you're gonna 
get yourself out of the kind of the creative rut that you're in, then that's absolutely fine. I don't have anything against it as long as you're not, you know, getting yourself into unmanageable debt and all of that kind of stuff to to do it, you know? Yeah, and those stuff are not cheap, right? Like, you know, invest in some, you know, decent gear, which, and and the way I look at it, I want to have a gear which I can depend on it, right? So I don't have to worry that you go to the shoot and, you know, the lens or the camera started kind of, you know, failing or anything like that. So that's the main reason. Uh, As long as the technical parts, I I think we, I think when you, I don't know, but most photographers, when you, when you have this kind of like, um, I don't know, you're starting with certain brand, most of them, I think they stick to it, right? Doesn't matter, you know, because the difference, like when you reach certain level, there's not much of a difference. And I think these days, the quality of the technology have gone so far that like you really don't see much of a difference right and as you said yeah. plus on top of it we our images go through some additional retouching process or some post-production you know we can tweak it till mm-hmm. to the colors or tonality we we like anyway so so that doesn't really matter okay yeah. perfect so now what i want to do is i want to jump into your world and jump into your work um i just want to show you like we don't have to go through all of them but i i I, as I said, mentioned I screenshotted some of your shots, which are extremely inspiring. And and like if you could just kind of briefly tell me about the image, and and, and if there's an interesting story behind it, would be great. Um, so let me kind of pull this. I'm gonna add this to the stream. I'm sure you, I don't know if you've seen. I'm, I'm sure you've seen it. Yes. So this is an image which really hit me, like when I saw it. Um, it, it's such a powerful picture. Uh, the face expression, the the character, the yeah, everything is just just perfect. So tell me a little bit about how this image come to existence. Um, so this this guy is, um, I, I mean, I, I guess you would call it sort of alternative modeling. Um, okay. He's he's a he's a musician. He's a model. He's a, a performer in in general. Um, and there is a, a growing movement of, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I'm using the right term, but alternative modeling, um, pe- people who are more interesting than they are conventionally beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. and I mean, you can see from the picture, he has, um, a few different kind of skin conditions, um, mm-hmm. He has uh, a hair condition, um, things that would normally be considered to be flaws or imperfections, the kind of thing that very often in regular photography we cover up with retouching. Um, mm-hmm. And his thing is he's saying, well, actually, like this is, this is what I look like and this is what I want to be appreciated for. So, yeah, the, the the image kind of needed to be as sort of stark and and bold as his his statement, really. Like, mm-hmm. I got the camera as close as I possibly could to his face, had him look straight down the lens, just a simple mm-hmm. two light setup, um, a light bit of color grading just to you know bring it into my area of taste but no no retouching i didn't do anything to his skin um just him 
just raw. Yeah. I think that image should be example for all your clients so they know how to squint because that's just like <laughs> it's it's not too much. It's it's just perfect balance, right? Uh -huh. You know, yeah. I, I, it's really striking image. And, 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 you know, as you said about this imperfection, so, but sometimes I think the imperfection can be perfection. Like when you look at it from a little bit of different perspective, you know, that's, it's unique. It's different. That's, I think what also um, our, I don't know, perception is, is, is going towards sometimes that we're looking for this imperfections, but that's what makes this whole thing perfect. Okay, so let's jump to our next image. So if you could tell me a little, I've seen you have some exhibition or something. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about that image. Um, so this image came about, um, the, the woman in the image, she's, a, she's an actor. Um, and um, we'd been speaking about doing a, a shoot together. And she mentioned that she was doing some work um, promoting a campaign called... Um, Missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, um, which um, again I don't want to get the the details wrong here, but it, the the general gist of the campaign is to raise awareness of the um, incredibly high incidence of um, kidnaps and and murders of Indigenous women in the Americas and how a, a very high percentage of those crimes go uninvestigated un, unresolved um and it, it's a campaign that's um been going on for some time um and as she's of of um colombian heritage uh, indigenous colombian heritage she feels close to this campaign she has something of a public profile being an actor so she wanted to use that to to draw attention and one of the symbols of the campaign is this the idea of, of the hand across the mouth right the the people being silenced um so i mean if if you look here from a technical point of view this is this is the same as the shot previous um the mm -hmm. same lighting setup the same i'm um, probably the same lens focal length distance pretty much the same um and again, it's that thing of the expression and the the handprint across the mouth mm -hmm. make enough of a statement that yes. we, we didn't need to add anything else into the image. You know, just simply two lights, even lighting across the face from the front um, and, and uh, having her gaze directly straight down the lens. Um mm -hmm. And yeah, we, we shot this and it got picked up um, and you know, re, reposted lots of places. It's currently exhibited in Milan as part of a project called the Atlas of Humanity, which mm -hmm. is a really interesting project. I think it's 180 portraits by 180 different photographers, each one representing a different, different ethnic group from around the world. Mm -hmm. um, that, that, show is going to go to paris sometime i think early next year um and there's a book as well um so i'd recommend anyone interested in portrait photography check that out because you know that that many different photographers that many different types of people ethnicities of people in in one project is uh, hugely interesting um it's also um, part of a project called We March Forth, which is um, a book that's coming out, I think, later this year. Um, 
which is about the role of photography in activism. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of touches on that. It's you know there are lots of examples in there of of um, you know photography that's shot during protests and demonstrations and things like that, but also studio photography intended to raise awareness for you know publicity campaigns, etc. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's a strong image. Yes. So on that note, actually, I shot similar image a few years ago, and I have indigenous you know person who which actually like she requests that she mm-hmm. want to have that image and the, the the whole story starts because in canada like we have this massive problem with that right like that's this is the place where i think this whole thing even uh, originated and you know she came to the photo shoot and she's like this is what i want and apparently there was like a athlete in canada who started this whole thing and she actually ran um, with this, you know, print on her face, and that's how this whole thing kind of um, started. I'll, I'll send you one day this this shot because it's it's extremely powerful too. Like you know, your image is like the the face expression, like you know, the, she looks like she's almost crying. I think just also tells a little bit of story. But I think, yeah, it's 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 something which is quite um, fascinating, and I think the story behind it also is is extremely powerful. For sure. Perfect. Okay, let's jump into next image. Sorry. This one. Uh, yes, this guy. Um, this, this picture, I, 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 have, I have this printed. It's up on the wall okay. uh, just in my studio. Uh, it's one of my, one of my favorites. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to have favorites, but this is one of my favorites. Um, so this guy, he's, a, he's an actor and a model. Um, he does a lot of commercial work sort of menswear campaigns that kind of thing you know he's got that he's got that look right he's he's very good looking he's of a certain age where he could sell clothes to me he could sell clothes to you know somebody considerably younger um and he he often he often appears very well groomed very put together very kind of slick and suave and and all of those kind of things and we and we did you know we did shots like that um, during the session um, for his portfolio as well. But, um, yeah, he's just got this fantastically thick, wiry hair. Um, mm. and this this goes back to the thing that you were saying earlier. I didn't realize at the time that I was making this, but I, I wanted to make him look like Einstein. Mm-hmm. In the back of my head somewhere, it just triggered one of those, one of those pictures of Einstein his hair reminded me of that. Um, and so, yeah, we just had him, you know, mess up his hair completely. Um, and I, yeah, he played along with it. I, he, you know, it, this, this is not in his co- commercial portfolio. This does not get okay. him the kind of work that he normally does. Um, but as a portrait, um, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah it, I think it's probably my most um, widely recognized uh, picture. To date, yeah. you know, it's 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 fantastic. I I think the face expression, the hair, the 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 body language, it's it's all comes together and then it's like fits uh, perfectly. Like it's it's just so eye catching that you know, like you cannot really scroll it through and don't kind of like stop your eyes on on that mm-hmm. picture. Yeah. So so this this is the thing, right? That 
when when we look at a picture, we perceive it. If we look at a picture of a person, we perceive it to be a person. On a, on an emotional level, we react to it as if it were a person in the room. And if somebody is looking at you in an intriguing way, you can't help but look back at them. And it's not because they're well lit. It's not because they've got a nice sweater on. It's not because they're beautiful. It's because they're engaging with you. And that's the compelling thing. Um, and that, you know, yeah, this picture has that. When, when, you know, when I'm critiquing other people's work, I very often find myself saying that, you know, I look at this picture and I defy you to not look back because it's almost impossible. And that's, that's the, the thing that we're always going for, I think. Mm -hmm. So on that note, I have a question. So how's your, um, this creative process look like? Um, are you going for all this crazy idea comes to your head? Like, you know, yeah. you have to say gentleman like this and then you just like, hey, mess up your hair. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Because I know yeah. some people they don't want to push the boundaries, right? Like they want to have everything cleaned up. And, and I've noticed from my own work, that people are open for anything. Like I didn't have anyone saying, hey, I'm not interested. Like, oh, you know, like, like I know if you would have to some kind of really crazy idea, then it's a different story. Mm -hmm. But I, I've noticed that people kind of like open to do some, you know, different things. So yeah. like how this whole thing looks on your end, like you have, let's say, session and then you just kind of like step by step unveiling this, 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 these ideas and then you just kind of like going fully forward or you have also some boundaries sometimes um no no boundaries i mean the, the whole you know it's a creative process and i think to to set boundaries on a creative process is is very counterproductive mm -hmm. um you know i i particularly dislike going into a shoot with uh, a definite brief um mm -hmm. or, you know I understand why why that's necessary in a commercial environment, and it certainly I can do it. It's it's not a problem. Um, I find it almost ironic that in most situations, when you shoot to a brief for a commercial project, you get paid way more than when you just find somebody interesting in the street, convince them to come to the studio, and work really hard to create something different and you know like we we get rewarded for the bit that's actually much less creative much less yeah. um, re requires in a certain sense less effort because all you're going to do is go in and shoot exactly the thing that you've agreed you're going to shoot and I know how to do that um when you've got uh, you know a random person I mean they're not random but people book me through my website. I don't really know what's going to happen when they turn up and we create it together. That is in a sense, hard work, but it's the enjoyable work. That's the bit that I love. Um, and, and it's a constant sort of pushing to see where, you know, well, would this person who, who knows that they want a, a headshot for their LinkedIn profile, like, well, let's try some in black and white and see what they think. Oh, okay. Yep, they like it. they like the black and white. Okay, let's try some with a, like an extremely shallow depth of field and see what they think. Okay, let's see if we can push a bit further, push a bit further, push a bit further. And you know, it, it's 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 important never to get people to a point where they're uncomfortable or or 
you know, I mean, again, to to quote a, a, a good lesson from from Peter Hurley, um, you can do and say anything to elicit a response, but you have to be ready to backpedal very quickly if you overstep a line. And you never know where people's lines are, um, and you definitely don't want to be an asshole. So, you know, if 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 I offend or or upset somebody by kind of pushing a boundary too far, it's super important to immediately backtrack from that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's the finding out how far you can push, how how far you can go. That that's that's the nature of creativity. If you stay safe, you'll just keep making the same picture again and again with each person. But did you have a situation where you crossed the line in your career? I can ask you. Because I, I, I can admit it I had. And then actually the client walk off the the the, the shoot. Um, but I, I was able to fix this whole thing. But I, 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 I think sometimes when we're going into this creative process, like you just see those things, they're coming to your head. Like, you know, you, you have someone at the front of the camera and like, okay, let's try this. And then this leads you to something else. And then this whole thing started kind of like unpacking or you just started like seeing things which you didn't even predict this is going to come to your to your mind. But as you said, sometimes, you know, we might push it too far. And then the people, we don't know, you know, where we're going too far. Um, yeah. But the question is, did you have the, the kind of situation where, you know, the client was, okay, this is way too much? No, I mean, I, I, I don't, as far as I know, I've never you know seriously offended anyone. C- certainly, there've been plenty of times where maybe I've asked a asked a question that was considered a bit impertinent or <laughs> inappropriate, and you know you you know that immediately. So you just say, yeah. "Oh, sorry," you know, like "Sorry," like you don't yeah. you don't have to answer that. Let's and then you change the subject and move on, and it's absolutely fine most of the time. With regards to the types of images. You know that definitely happens all the time. That mm-hmm. I, I will create some images that I think like this, this is really strong, but mm-hmm. then the person will be saying, you know, I mean, one one that one that springs to mind, um, a, an image that I absolutely loved of uh, a woman who's in her in her forties and she'd got quite a sort of glamorous style to her hair and the makeup and and the clothes that we had her in um and it just gave me that sort of hollywood vibe um so i had a i gave her a cigarette and she lit it up and like do you smoke she's like i used to so she she looked comfortable with the cigarette and we made this really really great image of her smoking this cigarette and she loved it um and then some days later she kind of got back to me and said nobody else is allowed to see that picture of me smoking a cigarette. My children are not allowed to see me smoking a cigarette. My employer, she, she works in a field where, you know, it, it would not be a good thing. So yeah, we, we, in that sense, we, we push too far on that boundary because that image is not something that she would be comfortable showing mm-hmm. to, uh, to the public. And even though I, you know, I love the image, you, you have to let that go. It's like, of course, if it's not gonna, I don't, I don't want to upset people. Um, the the great thing for portrait photographers is that every time that that happens, you just put it in the bank. It's like, right, well, I know how to do that now. Now, mm-hmm. when the right person comes in, we're going to do it again, and and that one's going to be published. 
Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's never in in creativity. It's it's never a waste of time to overstep a boundary. Always, always be sensitive to the fact that the person who's in the picture might not agree with you, and if mm-hmm. you have to do picture or just not publish it then you know don't get attached to it don't get attached to the picture get attached to the idea for sure and then you you'll just recreate that idea when the when the time is right when the person is right when the the subject matter is is right yeah Yeah, that's that's a good good advice and point because i again from my own experience sometimes you see those like really strong images which they have like impact even on on us right like you see it like there's this like emotion coming out of you like oh i dance like i capture something really unique here and something interesting but the client's like hey no you know i don't i don't like it it's like such a heartbreaking moment because it's just like oh you have this like gold in your hand which you love and you created and you know like it was like a right and specific moment you capture that and then you cannot really you know put this out to the world to to see it right but i think also like i don't know if you have that but uh, have you noticed like in your career like your taste change so let's say you're looking at your images which let's say created five ten years ago and you don't have the same kind of feelings towards them you had when you actually captured them and you published them um i mean not 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 to the extent that there's things that I dislike. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, certainly, you know, if, if I go back far enough, like when I, I, I know that I didn't know what I was doing, mm-hmm. there are some things that I cringe at because I can see I was trying to do something with that image and I failed to do the thing that I was setting out to do. Mm-hmm. But um, once I was at the point where, you know, I was you know, ch- charging people money and, um, you know, calling myself a professional photographer definitely my taste has evolved and changed i don't think there's anything that i cringe at or dislike from my past work i just don't revisit it um but i mean interestingly the 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 things that have changed um i i think really since since covid i've i've since since the first lockdown, I've um, noticed that I'm drawn more often to pictures where people are not looking straight into the camera, and mm-hmm. I I wonder if that's something to do with that you know five months of not having any face to face contact yeah. with with humans or it being behind a mask at a distance of two meters and stuff, um, but also almost contradictory to that is that over the last three years i think i noticed that my work has got more warmth and saturation um so a lot of my older images um they're a lot cooler in the tones um a lot more desaturated um i I think that that might just be more to do with being a bit more confident with my post-production and sort of again sort of seeing how far i can push like how much how much green can i get in there before it's too much you know um, where maybe earlier on i was sort of holding back a bit more and, and not pushing quite so far maybe i don't know i mean that's uh it's that's a bit of a 
psychological analysis, really, isn't it? More than, but, but you know what? I I really agree with you, and I I've noticed that on so many kind of occasions that the images which we are creating also is reflecting of our mood or mm -hmm. our emotions. Because you know, I, I I remember I had some corporate sessions, and I was just I don't know, shit goes sideways on the morning, and I had some fights with wife and kid was just all over the place, and you're just going to the shoot, even you're trying to be nice, and you're trying to kind of conduct the, the, the session, you know, the best way possible. But then I came home, and I will look at those <laughs> images, and everyone looks mad, I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> and it seems like this pe people were just mirroring me. Yeah. Um, and even I was trying hard to, you know, kind of like get them into the right place and create some interesting face expressions i saw this madness in, in their faces and i'm just like shit i have to somehow get this under control because that's really reflecting you know what we're capturing right yeah for sure i mean that that's your 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 personality is in your work and if it's not you're doing it wrong mm-hmm if you're Absolutely. not trying to put your personality into your work then i don't know why you're a photographer yeah. I mean, a portrait photographer. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you're doing reproduction photography, then fine, there shouldn't be any personality in it. But mm -hmm. anything that's even vaguely artistic or creative, that's kind of the definition. Um, mm -hmm. But with that, yeah, goes the responsibility that if you're if you're in the wrong place mentally that day, it's, yeah, that's gonna, that's going to come through in the images. You know, but you, sometimes you like to... we don't have we don't have any other option, right? But I think being aware of that just kind of changes everything too, right? Because you know that your your mood and, and, and the way you feel is going to reflect, you know, how you're going to... And these people probably, they do that um, unconsciously, right? Like they just look at you and they just kind of doing... They, they, yeah. they, they're mirroring you. And then so like the both, both sides are completely unaware, like we're going into the wrong path with this photo shoot because... Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think a, an important thing for portrait studio-based portrait photographers to realize, you know, it, it may not be obvious, but for your client, they come into a space that's your space. Probably you're the only two people in there. It's your space. You're in charge. You're going to set the tone. Mm -hmm. They're going to follow you. You may be feeling nervous or you know maybe because you through inexperience or maybe because they've got a high profile and you don't want to screw the job up or maybe it's you know just it's the first time you're getting paid whatever it is you may be nervous but trust me they're more nervous than you are and they're going to follow your lead um yes. and and the, the thing that i've always found is that what whatever mood i'm in before the shoot once i start working I get into my photography mood and, you know, it, it's almost a bit of escapism um, in, in a certain sense, you know, like a, a stressful morning. And then I've got a client that comes in at 11 o'clock and within five minutes of them being here, the, the morning stuff is, is forgotten and I'm, I'm making pictures and it's, it's all yeah. fine. I think also sometimes I feel it's like a drug. I don't know if you have that feeling. Like, you know what I mean by that? Like you're getting into the photo shoot and the this time stops. You you completely, like I'm always losing the track of time. Like when it comes to the shooting, it's like you just getting into different universe or something. And then you're just focusing on 
your subjects, you're working with them, you you try to, you know, get different face expressions, different, you know, like this is whole thing with just you, you, you jumping into the pool and, 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 and you work and this whole thing around doesn't really matter, right? Um, but it, it's it's kind of interesting that, I don't know, there's even a word for this um, where you're losing the time of track when you work. There's like the disease. called flow state. Yes, exactly. That's, that's, that's the word. And 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 that's that's where creativity happens. So I think, you know, my my business model is is based on encouraging that. Like I don't have a time limit on my sessions, so that it doesn't matter. Obviously, within you know reasonable limits, um, the amount of patience that I can expect from my subject, whether they've got you know other things that they need to do with their day, all of those things are considerations. But for the most part, I think saying we're going to be really creative at eleven forty-five. You know, <laughs> it's like, ten minutes. <laughs> come in. We're going to do some stuff, and we'll see where it takes us. And if you don't have a time limit on it, it doesn't mean it takes a long time. It just means that you, you don't have to conform to chronological time mm-hmm. um, and, and you know chronological time is, is not not great for creativity unfortunately no. we can't escape it we're, we're bound by it obviously that's you know sort of one of the the, the the laws of nature um but as far as possible i think we should strive to remove that from the equation so that creativity can happen yeah. And also I think it works on both ends, right? Like I found sometimes you have you have to get in the kind of like a I would say spirit of shooting. So like you have to warm up, you have to kind of read the client, you have to kind of see their angles and see what works and what doesn't. But also I found when it comes to the clients or subjects we're working with, they also go through that process, right? So they're nervous at the beginning and they try to like, you know, warm up towards to you and they try to feel you. And then, you know, when they kind of get to that state, you just like nailing every shot because they just delivering you what you're looking for. And you just kind of like a synchronize with their mood or whatever they trying to achieve. And this is like this, this magic. And I think it's also like a has this, I would say, limited time where, you know, like they, they work hard and they, you, you're getting the stuff what you're looking for. And then it's like an automatic drop that you can see on their faces. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm done. Like, there's not yeah. much you can pull out of me. Yeah, I, I think that's, um, I mean, one of, one of the reasons why I enjoy doing corporate work as well is because the, 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 the time scales are much briefer, right? No, generally, on a corporate shoot, people are not expecting to be in front of the camera for a long time. Mm-hmm. And very often, that process that you describe of them warming up and then getting the the good stuff and then it dropping off, it's just done in a in a condensed way. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, not not so long ago. Uh, a good example that comes to mind, I was doing a, a shoot with a, a small firm, 12 people. The The founder was the first person to have her picture taken. Um, and she stands in front of the camera and is obviously a little bit nervous, but she's also the CEO. So she's got to maintain the, you know, the, the, the air. Of, like, I, I know how to do this. Yeah. 
And she's fussing about, should I wear my glasses? Should I not wear my glasses? Should I wear my glasses? Should I not wear my glasses? And she asked me, well, how strong's your prescription? Um, and she took her, take her glasses off and looks at me. And I said, I mean, how many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> she cracked up laughing. I took about six frames and we were done. Yeah. She forgot for a moment about all of the anxiety about should I wear my, like what's the image I'm going to project or the rest of it. Mm -hmm. We got the shots and that was, you know, that was three minutes. Sometimes, you know, it, it, it can take considerably longer. Um, it, it's all fine. Um, but you, the, the process is there for us as photographers as much as it is there for our subjects and we, we just have to be aware of it that that's that's mm -hmm. the the arc that we're going through and especially as you say the bit where they're done like mm -hmm. no energy left you don't need to push past that you're you're not doing anybody any favors there so that's that's no no yeah yeah absolutely and, and and it's just i'm not saying it's a wasting of time but it's something that you know like you know you're done like you 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 have your time you had this 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 period of time which you know you should be able to get this stuff um and then it's just and you know, like that's that, like they, that's. Like, I think it's like it applies to most of headshot sessions. What I work, like you, you can really see. So, how long usually you shoot? Like, I know the corporate stuff; it's a completely different game ball. Um, but like, what's your typical? Like, how much? Like, how much time you dedicate to to get your people in front of you to to get the stuff what you're looking for? So, for my my individual sessions here in the studio. An average shoot from start to finish is about three hours, but mm -hmm. it varies. It varies so much. So, mm -hmm. um, the way that I work, I I only take on one client a day for for an individual session. That way, I, it doesn't matter to me if we you know if we if we go longer than that, it's fine. If we finish earlier, then I just get on with some admin or retouching or you know all mm -hmm. of the other stuff that goes with running a business. So I'm completely flexible in those terms. <clears throat> Some people, just because of the nature of, you know, what they want, you know, they turn up maybe with, you know, two shirts and a jacket. Um, and they're not trying to create pictures for multiple different uses. It's all pretty much, you know. I've got a small business. I need some pictures for my website and this is what I do. So everything's going to fit into that area. And then other people show up and, you know, they're, well, like I need pictures for my personal social media. I've got my dating profile. I've got my business, my side business. I've got my main business. I also want to send a picture to my mum because she lives abroad and, you know, at that point, you just know, okay, this is probably going to be a longer session because there's a whole range of different uh, characters or moods or whatever you want to call it that we're going to going to be um, working with. And, you know, often as well, a good a good indicator is if somebody comes in with, you know, a suitcase full of full of clothes, it's probably going to be a longer session. Um, mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's, you know, it's all... It's all fine. Even that, though, you know, I try not to jump to conclusions. Sometimes people bring a suitcase full of clothes just because they couldn't decide which ones to bring. Um, so sometimes but it's that goes... to have options, right? I found like, and this is the biggest part, the biggest problem what I have with clothing. And I know, like, 
when it comes to headshots, this is a little bit of a different story because you don't see much. But I also think that sometimes people bring stuff, you know, I know they want to feel confident and they, 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 they you know, they, they have this clothing, they, they feel good, good about themselves. But also what I found sometimes, you know, the stuff would they they feel good about it. They don't photograph well, right? And then you just take a couple frames and you're just like, shit, this is not going to work, right? Um, so I always ask them to bring as many options as possible because it's better to have those options instead, like, you know, end up with the session where you have this weird, I don't know, buggy, you know, kind of clothing, which doesn't help you much, just kind of make you look worse. So... I, I mean, that, that's the... I, I would put that under the heading of the power of portfolio. So, you know, more and more or less and less, I should say, that you know, the 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 further I, I go with my career, the less I have to help people select their wardrobe mm-hmm. because they know like that the, they've chosen to work with me because they see something in the pictures of mine that they've seen that they identify with. So a lot of that is often to do with, you know, if you see yourself reflected in the work of a photographer, probably you dress in a way that's going to look good in the pictures, you know? Mm. So it's, it's rare nowadays that I get somebody turning up with wardrobe options that Mm. I think, well, that's just not going to work, you know? Um, so th- there's a bit of self-selection going on, and and that that really is driven by by portfolio. So that you know the pictures of mine that people see, e- either they like it or they don't. And if they like it, they they'll book me. If they don't, they go to another photographer. Yeah, but also I want to say something, and I hope I'm going to regret to saying that, and I hope I'm not going to get some backlash. But Europe also has different rules when it comes to the wardrobe. Like they, 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 they put a little bit more thoughts into what they're gonna wear and what they're gonna bring. No, That's, I, I, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I found like you know, in, say in Canada, people are very conservative. So black, white, you know, adding any color. It's sometimes really hard to convince people to to do that. But that's just the kind of my experience working here, right? That it, it, they have I, this really specific, you know, kind of. I I dis I would disagree with that for two reasons. Okay. One, one, just simply put, I mean, to, to to lump Europe together as some kind of homogenous thing, I mean, it clearly mm-hmm. isn't. Um, there's a, a whole big mix of languages and cultures and ethnicities and um, physical types, skin tones, hair color, all of those things. But secondly, more pertinent to the the conversation we're having, I think that as micro-businesses, which most of us are, Mm -hmm. it's just not helpful to think in those terms. So, yeah, let's say it is true. Let's say that... 99.999% 99.999% of Canadians only ever wear gray t-shirts. Well, and I don't want to just kind of say that I want to put everyone in one bag, right? That's that's not what I'm trying to say. But, but I want I want to illustrate yeah. why that's not a useful thought pattern. Let's say that it is true that 99.9% of, of Canadians only wear gray t-shirts. It doesn't matter because you probably only need to have something like 200 clients a year to have a successful business as a single solo photographer in a studio. Um, 
so the, the other not point not 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 one percent who don't wear gray t-shirts those are your clients all you have to do is find them yes. so you know saying oh i live in a city that has no cultural scene no art scene everyone's you know nobody's sort of flamboyant in the way that they dress but that's what i want to photograph well there probably are going to be 200 people that are like that you just haven't found them yet maybe that's not the majority but then maybe if it was you wouldn't be interested in it you know yeah that's true but also what i found sometimes people need this little bit of extra push because i found that if you're like hey just you know let's try it if it's not going to work you know the worst case you're going to say hey i don't want the i don't like these images or i don't want them yeah. and i found like 99% when you give them that push and give them a little bit of confidence and like oh let's try this let's say red sweater or yellow or you know let's add some image let's add some color to this image um let's see how that's going to work and, and and if people when they actually see it and they get this feel from it they get this vibe all of a sudden they 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 change their mind, right? So, so a lot of those things, I think it's in our heads too, that, oh, you know, I'm not going to look good in red, but then when yeah. you actually see it yourself, you know, it changes everything. But um, the one thing what I want to say is the fact that, you know, it's kind of nice when people kind of go a little bit out of the comfort zone. They try new mm -hmm. things. They don't kind of stick to like, okay, this is where everybody else is doing. And they, they, from one hand, they want to be different, but they're scared, and they're like, "Okay, let's let's try it and see how this whole thing is going to work." Yeah, I, I think, I mean, a, a good analogy is like if you go clothes shopping. If if you left me to my own devices and I went to buy a shirt, I'd probably come back with a blue shirt. Mm -hmm. I've got lots of blue shirts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every <laughs> once in a while, if I'm in a shop that's got some sort of sales assistant. And they say something to me like, oh, you know, you that green would look good on you. If they're being insincere and just trying to make the sale, yes, I might get sucked in. But the day afterwards, I'm going to realize that they've they've done a sales job on me and they've sold yeah. me something that I'm not going to like and not going to wear. If they're being sincere, actually, they might get me to buy something that I wouldn't have bought for myself left to my own devices and they've actually just expanded my my horizons a little bit you know mm -hmm. just give me a, an extra thing in my wardrobe and I, I think yeah there's there's a there's a large uh to a large degree we do that with our clients as well so if, if you're just saying you know the red looks fabulous on you when it clearly doesn't Mm -hmm. They're going to realize that a couple of days later when they see the pictures. So, yeah, it's not about pushing stuff on people, um, but it's about giving them permission to, yeah, maybe just be a little less conservative than than they normally are. Try something a little, and like as you say, if they don't like it, they don't they don't choose those pictures. It's like nothing hasn't cost anything, right? Yes, yes. But I like to try. I like to, you know, the, the way I like to work is, you know, kind of, I'm not saying taking them out of the, their comfort zone, but, you know, just see what works, right? And then, because sometimes we just don't know. It's just a kind of mm -hmm. walking in the dark. And and I think like if, even with, with our photography, we try to do things. One of the kind of great advice I got from, I'm sure you know this, 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 this photographer, Sean Archer, mm -hmm. uh, 
he says like you know what shoot everything what comes to your mind it doesn't matter you like it throughout a photo shoot or you don't because you just don't really know what you're gonna get and which you know like what this whole thing is gonna lead you so i found like yeah this is kind of um interesting because something like oh we kind of like predicting or assuming oh this is not gonna work but sometimes it's kind of worth it even when you said about like for example like oh now you you really like images where people don't look straight up the camera right but that's also is something that develops over time that you're not like you know probably like you know when you started like, you wouldn't even think like having images where someone is looking somewhere else but we have mm -hmm. to kind of like i don't know grow into some of those ideas and then try slowly yeah. and just try once twice oh it's working and then we can kind of like push this whole um thing to completely different di direction right mm -hmm. for sure for sure perfect okay so i think we way over the time so i have one more question to you sure. and we're gonna just wrap this up um please tell me what would be one of the advice you would be you would be willing to share to someone who is just starting off and he, someone wants to become portrait for portrait and hatchet photography what the advice would be i'm i mean it's no big secret just just get out there and do it the the if you're at the start of whether you're at the start of your journey as a photographer or at the start of your journey in a specific genre of photography there's really no really no substitute for creating as much work as possible because that's how you figure out by a process of elimination, what you like, what you don't like. And as soon as you start to figure that out, you refine, you refine, you refine, you refine. Um, and you can't do that sitting around talking. You can't do that by telling people what you want to do. Um, okay. One of my biggest bugbears is when people come up to me and tell me about a picture that they want to make. <laughs> <laughs> Go and make the fucking picture and show me the picture. Don't talk to me about a picture. <laughs> if, if you've got an idea in your head that you want to make, go and do it. Go and do it. And, you know, obviously the flip side is you might not get it right the first time, yeah. but you know what? You, you, you'll have moved on f from where you are right now. You're, yeah. You know what? Next time I need to get a different kind of person to be in the picture. Next time I need to have two lights, not one. Next time I need to have a different focal length, whatever it is, you you, you just never realize those things until you try and make the picture that's in your head. So mm. portrait photography, if you don't know where to start, friends, family, if you're comfortable approaching people in the street and you're not kind of creepy about it, there's an endless supply of humans um mm. just get as many of them as you can in front of your camera do it with intention be generous um and you'll find that quite quickly you get together a a portfolio and also an, a network of people who know that you're a portrait photographer and then you're away that's how it starts absolutely thank you so much that was extremely yeah. real pleasure chatting with you i think we should repeat that at some point because we just barely touched the stuff i think what we wanted to talk about because this whole it seems like you are so passionate about it that we could just probably have endless conversation about it i picked 10 images to go through we went for free and then we just completely 
went off the path, which I think is great because I think those images started kind of bringing different things to the table, which mm -hmm. is fascinating. So I'm extremely thankful for, for your time. I will link all your um, social media, your website, so people can see um, you're already known. So I don't think, you know, like people know your work. So I think we just going to add them. So it's always good to have a, a little more, uh, a little more publicity. Absolutely. And, you know, if you haven't seen Ivan's work, go and not only just look at it, just study it, because I think that's also what helps us to, you know, kind of understand photography a little bit better and then, then just maybe implement, like, I'm not saying this stealing because we all steal stuff. Well, what I'm saying steal, but we always kind of get inspired by someone's work and we try to implement them into our work. So yeah. thank you so much for your time. Uh, we, we were planning to do this for an hour. We did this for our, yeah, we just passed another 30 minutes, but thank you so much. And um, yeah, we will be in touch. Thank you very much, Rafael.